This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, DU has worked to restore, enhance, and protect wetlands to the benefit of wildlife and people. It's a daunting challenge and one our supporters take very seriously because to them, nothing is more important than the outdoors we all cherish. And it all starts in our local chapter events. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org. DU, a proud sponsor of the Lone Star Outdoors show and sportsmen everywhere. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcoming each and every one of you into episode 628 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. It's great to be here with you. It's a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thanks for dropping by. Uh, we had a unusually cool last week here in Texas for... Late May. Dang, we're almost in June. Temperatures were like in the 60s. Whew, it was like fall. It was awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. Uh, went out, did a little thermal hog hunting with my friends at uh, Three Curl Outfitters and literally had to wear a sweatshirt, which that's uh, far from the norm for this time of year. So hope you all enjoyed that uh, brief reprieve from the Texas heat. Um, for those of you that are still out there chasing gobblers, I wonder when the last turkey season ends in the uh, lower 48, but we've got to be approaching that. Uh, Spring bear in full swing, one of our uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife game wardens sent me a nice uh, color phase that he took up in Saskatchewan. So for those of you chasing Bruins, hope that that is going swimmingly for you. Um, What are we doing today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one with mud caked on it from duck seasons that have long come and gone. Because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, a fascinating guest. Uh, interesting life story. Katie Newell will be here. A, uh, a gun-toting, hardcore Second Amendment advocate who also happens to be a vegetarian. Weird, right? Uh, those things typically don't go hand in hand, but here she is. And so we'll figure out why she is a vegetarian, if she's opposed to hunting. And I honestly have no idea. I haven't talked to her yet. Um, but I, I saw her page. She's a, a gun influencer, does a lot of various tips, uh, different types of shooting. And I was, so I was fascinated to see find out that she doesn't eat meat. Um, Typically, people that don't eat meat vote a certain way. (laughs) But here she is holding multiple ARs on her uh, social media channels. So we'll get to the bottom of this thing that I'm just trying to uh, wrap my head around. But excited to have Katie jump on. Then we will talk some quail with longtime uh, quail researcher and specialist Craig Cook. Uh, he will be here, and you know, I think one thing that everybody who has land and, and wants to have quail 
at least researches is can I release pen raised birds on my property and have them repopulate it? And the answer is no, you cannot. Uh, but Greg has found a way to temporarily circumvent the reality that those pen raised birds are going to die within a few days because that's what happens. And uh, any of us who've taken dogs out and, and worked them on pen raised birds, undoubtedly some of, some of them, they get away. Well, what happens to them? Hawks eat them. Uh, predators find them. They don't live long. Why don't they live long? Why, why hasn't this formula worked in the past? Greg has all the answers and what he advises people to do if they want to have great quail hunting in areas where quail have long been void on the landscape. Uh, so looking forward to spending some time with Greg here as well. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a uh, Havilon knife and cap? I've got a Peranta. That's what I use for skinning, uh, butchering these things. Yes, it's a scalpel. Also sturdy enough to get in there in those ball sockets and joints and break a deer down. Um, so we'll give away a Peranta bolt from Havilon and a cap as well. Just email the word Havilon. That's Havilon to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and we'll uh, hook one of you guys up with a brand spanking new Havilon knife. Uh, also, I think we need to mention what happened in Uvalde, Texas this past week was um, an unthinkable, unimaginable tragedy. Just a waste of life for no reason. And our hearts and thoughts and, and prayers go out to that community as uh and I think everyone is a parent and I certainly think about it when I drop my kids off at school every day that that could happen and you never think that's going to happen to you or your kids but um gosh I just I can't imagine what they're going through so uh our prayers go out to Uvalde Texas as they're dealing with this tragedy Let's take a quick break. Coming up next, Katie Newell joins us on SCI's One Star Outdoor Show. I keep falling in the hard way. Every time I turn around, I make the same mistake. Cause I'm helping on the hard way. Hey guys, Cable here. And last year was a wild year for censorship. It's only continuing in 2022. Uh, for us hunters and anglers. So I've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women, by hunters and anglers just like you. It's a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Imagine that. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, Knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so many more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you get 10 bucks to the store just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started, and I'll see you over there. Cable here for Stealth Cam and the DS4K Ultra Trail Camera. Highest quality video on the market, bar none. It's 4K. 
it's incredible. And they've also got an entire lineup of cell cameras as well. You can find it all right there at StealthCam.com. As our very own Reckless Kelly bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Uh, we're about to head to Arizona and check in with Second Amendment advocate Katie Newell. But uh, before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I'd like to encourage you to, at the very least, head over to the website. That's just safariclub.org because this group of folks continually puts their money where their mouth is. They are passionate about protecting your rights as a hunter. And uh, when you protect a hunter's rights, what happens? The wildlife wins because we all know that hunting is conservation. It's a fact. If it wasn't for us, these animals certainly wouldn't be thriving and they'd be hard pressed uh, to be scratching out a living. Nobody else does a damn thing for them. So head over to SCI and uh, check it out. That's safariclub.org. Okay, without further ado, uh, let's bring on our first guest today. It is my pleasure to welcome Katie Newell to the show. I'm happy to be on here. My pleasure. So you're joining us from Arizona? Yep, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, okay. We got to get, uh, get you guys back on the red side of things here for the next election. I, I don't believe for one second that we're blue. You cannot convince me that we are blue. So, Well, it's so many Californians moving in, much like where I live in North Texas. It's, um, you know, it's, I know that's a big thing where you are too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my whole entire street, um, it used to be all people that I've grown up with. And one by one, they're, they're getting bought out by these California um, contractors. Mm-hmm. And then all of the homes are being turned into Airbnbs, which... It's now just a party street. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've walked um, outside a few times with my gun. Just <laughs> <it>. so, <laughs> so, um, an image of you popped up on my Instagram search tab. I just like randomly. And it was, it was a shirt that kind of got my attention and it said, and you're holding an AR and the shirt said, stop being poor. Mm-hmm. So, which I laughed at. Uh, but what, what was the message there? What did that, what was the meaning behind that shirt? Um, so obviously I'm, I'm very pro Trump, uh, and I just, I'm not as involved in politics as I used to be, but every time I kind of turn on my TV and just glance at, at what's going on and see the little redhead telling everybody it's a good inflation. It's, <laughs> it's good that the gas prices are going up. I just feel like they're telling us like middle-class Americans who work our asses off, you know, just stop being so broke. And it wouldn't be an issue. Right. If you guys could just afford the prices that we're inflicting on you, you'll be fine. So, mm. yeah, it was just kind of a play on that because I just feel like, how is it a good inflation when the people who, who work for a living nine to five and need those jobs can't afford to put food on the table? How are you going to tell us it's a good inflation? So, right, right. It's just well, my I, way of picking fun of that. Uh-huh. Or the, uh, you know, I think Biden and Peppermint Patty have both said, well, just go buy yourself a Tesla, you know, yeah. if gas prices are too much. Okay, so everyone just has $50,000 to go buy a freaking 
uh, Tesla. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so anyway, I, I saw that picture and then I, I looked at your profile and it says that you are very tall. You're a tall person. Four foot 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, what's, what caught my attention was that you're a vegan. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been a, a vegan? Um, I go back and forth between vegan and vegetarian. I'd say since I was about 14. So uh-huh. okay. yeah, I go back and forth between the two. So that, that's why I was like, well, there's an interesting conversation to have here because most vegans are on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. So this seems like it's been a lifelong you know, thing for you. Um, what was the reasoning behind that? Uh, I'm just such a huge animal lover. Um, I made a decision when I was younger, not really knowing why I wanted to go vegetarian. And then the older I got, I just, I I just stuck with it. And then also I'm a nurse. Um, I started out with lung transplants and telemetry and I just saw the effect that, you know, a piss poor diet has on your body and and where you end up. And I just kind of decided I'm going to stick with this and, and yeah. And uh, uh-huh. my parents are also diehard conservatives, like very, they are very old school conservatives. Like you can't tell from, from here, but I am, I'm covered in tattoos, right? right? Like they're the type of conservative who, who they tell me, you know, people probably look at you different when you walk down the street because of those, like they're just so old school. They don't swear. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and they, they eventually converted to, to veganism too. When I, when I did it. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So do you know a lot of other gun-toting, tatted-up conservatives that are also vegans? I don't, because I'm out of that circle. I don't know. No. Yeah, no. Um, and most of the vegan restaurants here, so they're in a uh, central Phoenix, and our our central Phoenix and downtown Phoenix area have just completely been taken over by by these little hipsters. Um, these kids who walk around, they look like they could be an Antifa easily. Uh, and, and that's pretty much the vegan scene is, is left wing radical. Um, yeah. yeah. Anti-hunting. Uh, oh yeah. So what is that? What is the dating life like on something like, like that? Would you date a meat eater or do oh, you yeah. have to, you do? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If, a, I mean, if a, a hipster guy were to ask me out, I'd probably, it probably wouldn't go well. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but you never wake up dreaming of like a medium rare steak or backstrap. I, I honestly, I don't remember what it tastes like. I, oh. It's been so long. Um, it's been a long, you know, I became vegetarian. I was 14. It's been a lot, a lot of years since then. So yeah. I, I don't even remember what it tastes like. And I can't really miss something that I don't. Mm-hmm. Remember, so, so what do you do as far as getting enough like protein? Do you seem like you're an active fit person? Um, I just, I do, that's the thing I'm vegetarian right now. So I've incorporated eggs back in. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I do that. Um, I'll do cheese. I used to do a lot of tofu and then, uh, I just woke up one day and my body decided we weren't going to do soy anymore. So uh-huh. <laughs> it's fun how the older you get, the less food your body wants to tolerate. So it's, it's yeah. a, a fun part of getting old. <laughs> so have you ever, um, or do you know who, Dr. Sean Baker is the carnivore diet guy. I do not. You don't. Okay. But you've heard of people just eating hundred percent meat. Yeah. Like going and, and, and 
like saying that um, ailments have long-term ailments, joint pain, all this stuff, they've been healed by that diet. Yeah. So, but, and you said a crappy diet. I don't know if that's really a crappy diet or if you mean like um, more like, Hey, I eat Taco Bell three times a week kind of stuff. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting. The human body veganism works for you or right now you're vegetarian. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, people only eating meat, like religiously, yeah. nothing else. And it's working for them. Uh, so there's, that's certainly, there's a mystery there. Everyone's, everyone's different. Yeah. And that's something that I've found with my, like, uh, and they're not necessarily the kind that'll sit at the table with somebody eating meat and not tell them about how wrong it is that they're eating meat. And that's something I can't stand. Like if somebody's going to eat meat, just let them do their thing. Um, I really don't care what somebody else eats either way. It doesn't affect me, So, <laughs> but yeah. So what is your take on hunting? Um, I mean, I, I don't hunt. Uh, I really, I don't have an opinion on it either way. Um, I was in a situation, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tactical Carl. He's on Instagram. He's a sheriff out of Houston. Uh-huh. Um, he's my buddy. I was down training with him on his range in Houston. And there was this boar, I kid you not, had to be about 350 pounds, just started ramming towards us. Um, and in that instance, I was fine with the fact that my, my buddy shot him. Like I, that was absolutely fine with me because it was him or us. And I, I'm definitely not going to take that guy on. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was fine. But would I go out looking for pigs to shoot? I mean, no, but. Right. But so you don't have a problem with it and you probably understand the value of the money that hunters raise that goes back into conservation. And it's a weird thing to say. I love killing animals, but really at the end of the day, I'm making sure these animals are here for my kids, the next generation, and that these wild places stay wild. You know, I don't think anybody loves wildlife as much as, as people who are out there invested in it. Um, sportsmen and women, um, obviously your take on it is a little different as you know, more of the, the animal loving side of thing. Yeah. But it's, but you're like, like we said earlier, uh, you're, you're unique in that. Yeah. You're not the, uh, the anti-hunting screaming, how loud can I yell over you? Typical vegan that wants to tell you about why they're a vegan. That's, that's the, that's why I've always been rubbed the wrong way by vegans is they always want to throw it in my face. Yeah. Which is a major, it's major turnoff. What was, I heard a joke once. Um, it just said like, how do you know somebody in the room is vegan? Easy. They'll tell you like, (laughs) Because normally, like when somebody's vegan, they announce it like, "Oh, I'm vegan. I don't, I don't eat meat. I don't eat dairy." And it's just like, I don't, I don't give a. <laughs> right, right. But, How many guns do you own? Uh, I have maybe like twelve now. I just got a new one finished yesterday. I'm very excited okay. about. Yeah. Uh, and which, what, what caliber is that one? Um, so it's a, an AR from, um, gun tech. They did the upper for me and it's a special like unicorn design. Um, we are converting it into a 22. <laughs> um, I just applied for my first suppressor. Actually, I'm, I'm very excited. It matches the gun perfect. And, uh, nice. it'll be my first one. And I heard that the weight right now is nothing like it used to be. So I'm I got my first it. one last year, really? or first two, and it only took about six months. So Oh, yeah. I heard it's even shorter than that now. I like down Oh, it's high. awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. These, I mean, these year and a half weights, uh, I think that's why a lot of people put it off for so long. It's like, oh. Yeah. 
Uh, give it yeah. to me now. So yeah, exactly. The instant gratification. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what is your favorite gun to shoot? Uh, um, All of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, have you ever been out to the range 702 in Vegas? Mm-mm. So it's, it's like one of the few ranges where you can shoot a 50 cal indoors and they've got a Barrett. Um, my friend, she's actually, she runs it. So I go out there quite a bit and that, that's my favorite gun to shoot. And it, Everybody always comments when I post about it, like, why would you shoot a Barrett indoors? What a waste. And it's just like, it's actually a lot of fun. Um, and it's a cool range. They got a lot of fun guns to shoot and a lot of full auto. So, but the Barrett 50 cal. Awesome. Yeah. I wonder what. Yeah, I'm tiny, uh, so it knocks me back uh, <laughs> a ton. So, yeah. I wonder what a, a, a single round for that gun costs these days. I wouldn't even want to know. <laughs> I, 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 it's probably like five bucks, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what is your, you, you're a nurse, that's your day job. You, but you also have 72,000 followers on Instagram. What is your goal with your Instagram page? Uh, you know, I didn't really have a goal mm-hmm. when I made it. Um, I, it was just something kind of do in a 2020, I got off Facebook. Um, people were kind of grossing me out on there with all their opinions and their they're yelling back and forth through their keyboard. So I just kind of got on Instagram and started posting about guns and things have just kind of gone upwards from there. Um, you know, but I have connected cause I, I also put in my bio, I'm a domestic violence survivor. Um, and so that has helped me find a lot of other women through Instagram across the country who are also domestic violence survivors, you know, and that's why I got into guns and shooting. And so it, it kind of helps me find them. And so I guess the goal I mean, just to kind of educate women about what owning a gun has done for me as far as like giving me my sense of power and control back and, and how you put you really as a female nowadays, like you really put yourself in a victim role. If you walk around and you're not armed, these, some of these dudes are just wackadoos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I just choose not to be in a victim role. And so just being able to talk to other women and educate them. Well, I can say my wife is not a victim of domestic violence uh, because she married a saint, me. Um, I, she got her purse stolen from her at a Target parking lot, and she's just pushing the cart to her to her car, gets her purse jacked. And I, I've this was like five years ago. Can't get her to carry. She's still afraid of guns. So I don't, I, you know, I don't know how to push that envelope. She clearly doesn't want it, but I'm just like, how do you, you got your purse stolen from you? Literally what was right there next to you. Yeah. It could have been worse. They could have had a gun instead of just running by and snatching it and jumping in the, the, the getaway car. But you know, I don't know. I think there's a lot of women out there who are just like my wife, but I wish they were more like you, not, not on a survivor, um, but just would be more comfortable with guns. And I don't know. Some people are just scared of them. Yeah. And you know, and a lot of conversations I have with women out here, um, because we are a border state, you know, uh, things do happen, especially in Arizona, child trafficking, human trafficking, it's a problem here. Yeah. And I always say to women who are anti-gun, uh, you know, like, what are you going to do when it's your kid? Like, who cares about your car? Who cares about the bag? Like, what, what are you going to do when it's a kid? Um, the cops aren't going to get there before they completely take off with your two-year-old. So what's right. your plan? What are you going to do? You have no ability to protect your family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's just insane to me i i don't i don't know i wish she would stay strapped but it's uh i think people are afraid of things they're not familiar with and yeah 
I, she'll shoot it once in a while, but has no interest. And, and I think when our kids were younger, which, you know, you're saying, what are they going to do when, when they steal your two-year-old? Yeah. And, and her mindset is like, well, I don't want a gun that my two-year-old could get, get accidentally get their hands on, you know? So I don't know, but the kids are older now. They're nine, seven and seven. And they are, I mean, I leave guns laying around and they know what they are. Um, yeah. I, my, it annoys my wife, but the kids are very well versed in the fact that guns will kill you. You do not ever touch one. If you see it later, never, ever touch it unless I am there with you and have told you that it's okay to touch it. Um, but it's not my kids that I'm worried about. It'd be, you know, someone else's kid that mm-hmm. I would say most of our, most of the kids in our neighborhood, their parents aren't big hunters or, you know, second amendment uh, supporters or passionate gun enthusiasts. So who knows what their kids are aware of uh, as far as gun safety, probably not much. Um, yeah. Um, oh yeah. So one other thing is you're, you're also sober. Mm-hmm. How many years are, have you been sober? Uh, five, I just had five years. So awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. It was literally like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, thank you. That was yeah. Cool. So you're living a very clean lifestyle. Uh, I mean, I still, I, I order nachos at least a couple times a week, but, uh, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, anyway, um, I certainly enjoyed visiting with you and, and just wanted to get your perspective. Like I said, don't know a lot of, uh, a lot of really diehard gun enthusiasts who are also at the same time, uh, vegan. Um, so, but congratulations on the eggs. That's, uh, that's a, sp- <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so tell us your Instagram page if people want to give you a follow, because I think it's a uh, fascinating. Oh, thank you. It's a uh, BB Brat 111. BB Brat 111. Okay. Yeah, it's actually a. Uh, people ask me where I got that from. It was my first AOL username that my dad made for me back when cool. AOL was our our jam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, you know what? I also want to say thanks uh, because I, I, I'm pretty hardcore, like anti-vegan, and it's from what I just told you that that mindset of all the ones yeah. I know just scream it at me. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of like bridging that gap and opening my eyes up a little bit as far as, Hey, I don't know a lot of gun owning vegans, but here's one. So that's a start. And, uh, I appreciate your time and, and the conversation, how honest you are ab- about everything in your life. So thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. Bye. So there you have it. Uh, the first of her kind, maybe? I don't know, but the first one I've come across as far as uh, a staunch Second Amendment supporting gun-toting vegan. Uh, so thank you, Katie Newell, for jumping on today. That segment brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee company, veteran-owned and operated. Whether you like light, medium, or dark roast, or maybe you want to check out some of their awesome swag. They've got uh, some pretty provocative Second Amendment related gear on their page, t-shirts, caps, hoodies, uh, water bottles, coffee mugs, all that stuff. Uh, and you'll get 20% off your entire order with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at blackriflecoffee.com. Coming up next, we'll talk some Bob White Quail on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
Y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to viset our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Hey, this is Chris Knight, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But I sit down by the highway I hear those big cats growl Where the quail gonna fly to Where will the rabbits run now I watch them tear all the hell What used to be my church Tearing up my grandpa's Cable Smith, welcoming you back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. We are about to talk some bobwhite quail. I think, you know, if there's one species that I miss the heyday of, of hunting, it would be, and, and that I'm bitter about, right? I'm, I'm honestly bitter that I didn't, I wasn't around for the good old days of quail hunting and the, the nostalgia and just allure of bird dogs and over-under shotguns. and Yeah. It's dreamy, right? <laughs> These days, I've got to drive four or five hours, and, and quail habitat, getting hunting access on those places, it's expensive. Sometimes more expensive than a nice whitetail lease if you have good quail numbers. So uh, it's certainly a, I don't want to say it's a dying sport, but it's extremely difficult to bring new hunters into the fold of a sport where it's so damn hard to get access to huntable quail populations. I wish it wasn't that way. And like I said, I wish that I didn't miss out on the heyday. And uh, I, I hear my older buddies, hunting buddy, one of my best duck hunting buddies, Walter, he'll he'll talk about what it was like uh, in the 80s, even in North Texas, like quail everywhere. So anyway, we can't let this sport die. And it's almost impossible to reintroduce quail into those places that they once thrived in, but no longer do. So what's the next best thing? I don't know. But I think uh, possibly Greg Cook does. He's been working with quail. That's his life's work, actually, uh, for like 30-plus years. And he's going to join us momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by the Stealth Cam DS4K Ultra Transmit. That's right. It's the DS4K Ultra now available in a cellular trail camera. That's the highest quality photos on the market, sent right to your cell phone. Uh, you can find it at stealthcam.com. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. Greg, thank you so much for jumping on, man. It's great to visit with you. Same here, Cable. So first of all, it seems like that's a pretty nice uh, striper there behind you. <laughs> Where did you catch that bad boy? Beaver Lake. 
long time ago. Um, had a really, really, really good day. And I think I had that one mounted specifically because the day was such a, an amazing day, but we caught a lot to that, that 22 to 25 pound range. Great, oh, great wow. fish. Great day. Yeah. Wait, where's Beaver Lake? Uh, Arkansas. Okay. Gosh, right. gosh, cable. That's been 35 years ago. So, uh, so that's the actual fish. That's not a replica. They didn't used to do no, replicas. That's, no, that's the actual fish. Yeah. yeah. I love to fish, love, love to hunt fish. It really doesn't matter. So I'm always thankful that there's multiple seasons. You know, you got your fishing season you got your hunting season. So uh, mm -hmm. love to bass fish. Used to tournament fish a whole lot. My dad has a, I think it's an eight pound, seven ounce largemouth he caught on Lake Fork in the early 90s. And it's on the uh, the office and it's on his office wall. And um, of course, back then, same deal. You just killed the fish and he put it in the freezer and just kind of forgot about it for a while. And my mom had it mounted and, you know, a year later gave it to him for, I think it was like Father's Day or something. Um, and I told him, you know, when he dies, that's the, really the only thing that I'm interested in. Um, specifically, then, like, hey, because I have two younger brothers, I'm like, I'm the oldest, I get first pick, and that's what I want. So, there you go, <laughs> I get that, I understand that. Not that Memories. I'm trying for you to die, dad, but you know, just when, <laughs> when you do, I want that fish. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let's, um, let's talk about you. So, we're going to talk quail today. Um, this is your life's work. What exactly do you do? with uh these bob whites that so many of us like to chase well um cable i got in the business about 42 years ago as a hunt club consultant and a hunt club manager um and and i developed a passion for producing the highest quality hunting possible um, for a number of years i had gone down the line using my education to try to enhance wild birds um on, on individual properties. So I'd worked about 120 wild bird pop, uh, wild bird projects in, in about 25 states. Um, what I noticed though, that we really weren't having the success uh, that we had all hoped to have. In fact, today, everyone would probably say we're struggling to have the success that, that we'd hoped for. Um, and today, two thirds of the nation no longer has a huntable population of quail on their property. So what I had done is taken my background as a hunt club consultant and my passion for wild bird hunting. And in a way, I've kind of put them together to try to help people enhance their, their hunting opportunities on their own properties. Mm -hmm. So old school is we've been doing bird enhancement through uh, stalking birds for about 90 years. And unfortunately, it really wasn't working very well for anybody. Most people did it. Uh, somewhat reluctantly, but it was the only game they had available to them. Um, I was convinced that if we put the effort into it, we could come up with some alternatives that were superior to anything that had been done in the past. And, and fortunately, um, I had an opportunity to work with some really um, special landowners and visionaries that kind of had and shared my same hope that we can enhance bird hunting to the point that everybody wanted to do it. They, they would bring their kids out again. The families would come out, businesses would start sharing their hunting opportunities on their property, and, and we, could in, we could really elevate the quality of, of alternative hunting for people. So basically what I do is, is provide the information needed for someone to have a super uh, quality hunt on their own property. 
um, using new methods, um, new techniques. Okay. So you said two thirds of the Bob White's original range, well, two thirds of, of properties, but these birds used to cover, I mean, almost the entire Southeastern United States. Um, I don't know about Florida, but I mean, Georgia still has some, some wild quail. Uh, all the way from what was the northern edge like the Carolinas? Oh, they went all the way up into Wisconsin. I mean, okay. the, the birds were up north. Florida was always a mainstay state for for high quality bird hunting. Uh-huh. Um, in uh, Georgia, in fact, I had did a lecture down there about a week ago in the state of Georgia, uh, among amongst a bunch of uh, hunt club operators slash uh, bird rearers. And, and the vast majority of the people told me that they no longer had any really wild birds in, in that state other than in a few small pockets uh, that they have just declined so significantly over the years that uh, the vast majority of their hunting opportunities is from, from hunt clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so it is, it's the Northern Bob White. So Wisconsin, that does make sense, but yeah. So from Wisconsin to Texas and basically to the East, um, these birds once were prolific uh i would say i mean i would have to agree with you there's more properties that i go hunting on in texas now that are void of quail than actually have quail and oh my dear lease is northwest of here two hours but and we do have quail which is interesting because we we are about 700 acres um surrounded by people that have basically clear-cut everything for ag uh for grazing and we do have quail. Now, my landowner is the executive director of uh, Quail Coalition in Park City's Quail. So he obviously loves quail and does everything he can to make sure that they, uh, they stick around. But 700 acres isn't a big piece of property. What would you say for, for John Doe that wants to, uh, you know, have quail on his property? How many acres do you need to, in order to, you know really have a shot at a viable hunting population um, of Bob Whites? Well, I don't work with the wild bird population. Um, so I, I basically take people's property that no longer have a huntable population, mm-hmm. because if you don't have birds there today, you're not at this time able to really bring them back significantly you might be able to take a few birds and and that's on the property and been able to increase their numbers through proper habitat management to to increase the the five ingredients that these birds need for success but if you're in a piece of an area that no longer has birds um, in texas or any place else then then i show up and say okay we're going to produce depending on what you want the the best best most viable bird uh, hunting options that you have. And so, um, if a guy only has 80 acres, then he has options specifically that, that he can enjoy upland game bird hunting on his property, utilizing stock birds. Now, let me back up just a little bit. So people have been restocking birds on their property for about 90 years, uh, starting in about the thirties, people began that process, but it never works, Greg. They don't ever, I mean, it doesn't seem like the pin raised birds. Uh, I've heard that they're too fat. They, they fly too slow. They're not, uh, they don't have a mother that teaches them about predation. And so their natural instincts aren't 
Um, they're not as wary as a wild bird. I, I've heard all of these things. I don't know what, what they're one all is. right. Okay. They're all correct. The, the reason that they failed and, and still fail is, is, is numerous, but we had been doing the same thing. So if you take uh, a, a, a pin raised bird and try to put it on your property to enhance the wild birds, it's not going to work. Your survival rate of those birds is zero. And so, but we kept trying different release systems. So going all the way back into the thirties, they, they, they attempted the soft releases, the slow releases. They attempted the uh, uh, a dump release. They even had a chicken in a bucket release system. But the bottom line is that these birds genetically were not capable of, of being uh, a survive in it, almost any situation. The survival rate in the industry is like if you release 100 birds today, you'll have 50 tomorrow and you'll have 25 the next. And then within a few days, they're gone. So that was what's always been the norm. And, and what we've been doing for the last 40 years is saying, OK, OK, that that's how do we change that? How do we effectively change that? And so it began with me looking at all the release systems in depth. Why aren't they working? Well, you're exactly right. The vast majority of pin raised quail are inept. In fact, that conversation that I had, that lecture I gave down in Georgia uh, here a week or so ago was that even the game bird raisers are putting out an inferior product. And so that was a, a, an interesting conversation because I'm telling them that are you what is what what does it take to be a great release bird for hunting? And out of 45 uh, bird raisers there, not one of them basically raised their hand. They didn't know. So I said, now compare your birds to a great release bird what what does a great release bird look like and they didn't have the answer for that either then you ask them so compare your birds to a wild bird so when you back into that a wild bird trot flies at about 26 to 27 miles an hour the average pin race bird flies between 12 and 14 miles an hour hmm. then when you look at their performance the the lift that's why i'm such from, a good shot on the pin raised birds well that's 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 <laughs> a lot of guys are and then you've got the lift relationship a lift or or is when a bird uh is, is stimulated to, to flight how high does he get up before he levels out and flies uh average pin raised bird only gets four feet off the ground wild bird is between five and six but what the people don't realize is there's some breeders out there that are achieving amazing quality of release birds for example there's one razor out of illinois that has a bird that flies 24 to 25 miles an hour whereas like i said a, a, a native bird flies 26 or so 27 miles an hour where the average pin raised bird is 14 so this guy has as has produced a bird through selective breeding and and that that is performing at the highest level um, so when we did a project in southeast oklahoma we had to go through eight different bloodlines before we found a bloodline that actually would work. Then we took that bloodline and began to selective breeding those birds until we achieved the, the perfect bird for that goal. So what I'm saying is we no longer just take birds from a, a bird source and, and bring it in and then dump it out on a piece of property because your success rate is, is zero. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a little day hunting out of that. But to be able to achieve a hunt that is is equal to a, a wild bird hunt, we now have to go through many, many more steps. And, and over time, we realized we were failing with this. So we adjusted it. It's a little bit like I always said, like Edison and the light bulb, you know, we found a lot of ways to not to, but over the last 20 years, we've been having some successes that are just phenomenal that people have to look at 
uh, some of the videos like on my website to go, oh, wow, that's even possible. And so what I've been trying to do for the last number of years is say, hey, there's other options out here for you guys. Um, let, let's, let's look at what your property is, has to offer, what it needs, and then help me show them um, what they can do to, to produce an amazing, amazing hunt when they don't have an option for a wild bird hunt. It's just not there. So whether you're in Illinois or you're in Kansas or parts of Oklahoma or even parts of Texas, uh, Arkansas, there's people that no matter what they do, they don't have birds. Well, as you get older, you'll probably experience this. What you really want um, is to be able to make sure that you're leaving a legacy back that you can get more kids into the field, more hunters coming back to this sport than then leaving it. So when you look at the numbers that Texas used to produce as far as quail hunters, it was it was amazing. Um, now the numbers have dwindled down because they, they don't have that available, the birds available to them. So some of the information that 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 I'm trying to get out there is to help people go, wow, didn't even know that that was a possibility. So so talk about that process as far as because the, the even the birds that you're releasing through selective breeding they're not you're not going to repopulate right well we are working on a a bloodline right now that that has the potential to reproduce understand the vast majority of released quail have zero reproduction ability zero okay so we are looking at the options i developed a system called surrogate propagation and it was an attempt to to utilize um Mother Nature's own met, uh, methods of keeping birds in that area by by establishing a home range, um, a core area that they were raised in from day one. So you'd leave them in this piece of equipment for zero to five weeks, and then I know you had to release these birds at five weeks of age, so they would still retain any resemblance of uh, response to to react and reaction to um, uh, their environment, so they could survive a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But it it was flawed it had many issues that, that we had to deal with. So still, even in those situations, using uh, surrogators and, and bringing up the quail on the place that they're going to be released on, uh, it failed by and large. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about selective uh, genetic breeding and what to do about predation, because I think there's a lot to get into on uh, both of those fronts. That segment proudly brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the 940 Pro Waterfowl. Or, hey, there's a 940 Pro Turkey. There's a 940 Pro Tactical. There's even a JM 940 Pro. That's for uh, Jerry Mitchell, the shooting legend. But in, anyway, whatever you want, they've got it in the 940 Pro. You can find the uh, new lineup of semi-auto-loading shotguns right there at Mossberg.com. We'll continue the quail conversation after the break on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Tactical Skeleton Firearms specializes in custom AR-10 firearms. They're best known for their AR-10 308 pistols, also dual-caliber AR-10 rifle systems and dual-caliber AR-15 takedown pistols. Tactical Skeleton specializes in custom Cerakoting engraving, and they'll custom laser cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case. They'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the AR-10 or AR-15 platform. Precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty? Who does that? Get free shipping on your order when you visit tacticalskeleton.com today. 
Cable here for Pulsar. If you're looking for that nighttime optic, whether it's a night vision or, my preference, thermal, mm, man, these things have gotten a lot more affordable over the years. Now, of course, still a pretty penny, but the working man can get into a thermal, can certainly get into night vision. It's a game changer, and nobody does it better than Pulsar. So if you're ready to light up the night, head over to PulsarNV.com to check out their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics. Tonight it's hard to find the words That make sense of what occurred Forgive me while I figure out Just what this song's about There's a little Steve Canyon Rangers bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We are still talking Bob White Quail with Greg Cook here today. Before we dive back into that conversation, though, this segment of the program is brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Vortex Wear Spring lineup. Whether you want uh, shorts, like khaki shorts, but made out of that stretchy, you know that stretchy material? They don't they don't feel like khakis, but they kind of look like it. Yeah, Vortex has uh, some great solid color short options. And as always, the t-shirts, the caps, the hoodies that you've come to know and love. I mean, they've even got socks. It's like a one-stop shop for outdoor leisure wear. And uh, you can get 20% off your entire Vortex wear order with that promo code LONESTAR20. So check out the spring lineup over at vortexoptics.com. All right, well, let's continue the quail conversation now with Greg Cook. So today, we are we are looking at the genetics to try to get a bird that will reproduce in the wild. Um, that's a possibility because a small fraction, about 0.5% of them will attempt and be successful for reproduction. So I believe that we're going to be able to achieve a, a bird that is, is as fast as a wild bird, performs to the same uh, intensity and flight capabilities of a wild bird and have the ability to reproduce on a piece of property. But again, that's down the road a little bit. But as of today, we have the ability for someone to be able to take um, a certain bloodline and then stock it on their property and and have success. Now, the other thing... I mean, that's like searching for the... I mean, it's like uh, pursuing the cure for cancer. You know, we've been at it for a long time. And nothing, nothing has worked. Uh, so to say that you think that there's hope that because that would be a game changer if you said, "Here's this this quail that we have through selective breeding, we we know that it has a very good chance of surviving in the wild once released." I mean, shoot, people everywhere would be flocking saying, "Like we want that. Give us some of give us some of that quail." Well, a game changer. The, the- well, not necessarily, because if the ingredients on that piece of property are such that there's no quail, there's a reason for that. There's no wild quail. So mm-hmm. probably even if we produced a bird that was equal to a wild quail on uh, a nest rearing, that that area has probably a low nest survival rate. So you can put a great bird on, a, on, a, on that piece of property. You can put a wild bird on that piece of property and, and you're going to have marginal success because if if you have high nest predators nothing you can do about that except deal with the nest predators whether it is uh predator control now that's where the 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 part of this process so imagine this so now we've got this idea that we we have birds that are physically capable of, of superior performance but 
you can dump them on a piece of property and they're going to walk off. They're going to leave. They're going to be harassed by predators because once you do that, you create habitat. Every predator in the county shows up to your property, right. harasses them, and they're gone. So the next next evolution in this was to put in a predator-proof fence. Now, the crazy concept of that, so real quick, guy gives me a call. Uh, this has been back in 2005 and said, I just bought a 13,000-acre piece of property, and I want the world's greatest quail hunting on it. Well, this is in the mountains of the Kaimichi Mountains in Oklahoma. Hell, there hadn't been a quail in that area for 20-plus years. Mm -hmm. So what you end up doing is going to him, looked at the property, 60% timber, 40% open, and, and 25 miles of creeks and, and rivers going through this property. This was a predator kingdom of, of amazing proportions so i told him i said nothing you're due is going to going to bring any birds back not going to happen i said but i've got this crazy idea if you will work with me we'll put a fence around this 600 acre piece of property then we'll now control the ingredients inside that 600 acres and then we will we will see what we can do well so i my goal was to have a covey every 25 acres um within the second year we had a covey every six acres no, every seven acres. We hit a high dent, the highest density game birds ever recorded inside an area. We we hit seven birds per acre inside this managed area. Now understand, we also went in and, and managed the habitat. We took uh, and planted 141,000 bare root mid-range bushes like sumac and, and American plum, things like that. We had 10 miles of hedgerow so we had places for these quail to be able to exist and survive so i was on that project for seven years and that turned the corner for me cable that was the point of saying okay wait a minute um if you look at the video of a hunt on that place you would think you were hunting wild birds when you showed up it was an amazing uh, uh revelation that we under the right set of circumstances with the right management practices could achieve amazing success so um but still that, these birds is, are not reproducing so then the 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 uh the skepticist would say well you know that's great greg but you know it, if you dump out fifteen thousand birds on 600 acres of course you're gonna have you're gonna point 70 coveys in a day or whatever it is yes but you get to keep those four thousand birds you release on the piece of property for six months because mm -hmm. the predators don't come in and, and harass them and push them out and cause them to leave. So if you have a piece of property that, that you bought, you own, you would like to have great quail hunting, you can now go on that piece of property on any given day during six months out of the season because you're now under a hunt club license. You can now go out and move 50 coveys a day. And then you can go back the next day and move another 50 coveys and go back the next day and move another 50 coveys. So, I mean, it may be part of the same group, but you are now able to have a hunt that rivals any, any wild bird hunt. Uh, granted, they're not going to reproduce. They'll, they'll nest up. You're going to drop some eggs. They'll try to nest, but you'll have maybe 0.5% of them will be successful in their nesting attempts, but it's still now for um, the, the guy that's looking to, to have an amazing hunt, he doesn't have to have seven birds per acre. He may be happy with 25, uh, uh, 25 coveys on 600 acres, but it is, it is the beginning of a new, new ideas of, of how can we have amazing release restock bird hunting? How can we take those guys that no longer have any hunting on their place? That's not an option. And they now have an option that is 
outstanding. So from that that point, so what is the next step? What's the next next evolution from that? And, and that's what we're trying to look down the road for the next 25 years is what can we do that 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 we 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 begin this process of 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 improving, taking things to another level. Uh, what can we do next to make it more affordable, um, um, more um, doable, easier for the average guy, That things of that nature? Well, you know, Arkansas Game and Fish probably put that striped bass in Beaver Lake knowing full well that this saltwater fish is not going to reproduce in this lake. But Good point. You know, it's on your wall. And you now the, these fish can obviously live longer than the six months that, that the quail um, – you know, their expected, their life expectancy on the open range, but same concept, you know, that, fi that fish wasn't going to reproduce in fresh water and, uh, they still see the value in doing that. Um, it's kind of the same, same concept. Uh, these, these quail aren't going to reproduce, but you're still going to, you're going to have great fishing and guess what? You're going to have great hunting as well. What, I guess the next question, and, and, you know, this might be the, the limiting factor for some people is like cost. Is this a cost prohibitive practice like i i don't know i expect these birds because i've i've done the pin raised hunts before um they're fine but it's nothing like a good wild bird hunt no it says right here um, right. it's really just hey let's get the dogs on some birds because they're bored um well but um so is it most the cost uh, talk about the cost of it not so much your services but i mean the ballpark you know plus the birds are going to be very expensive um but but quail hunting because of the lack of opportunity has kind of become, uh, unfortunately, it's kind of referred to as a, a rich man's sport these days. The uh, the the real cost comes into the to putting a fence around a piece of property to protect the ingredients, mm -hmm. and then the second aspect is depending on what your habitat's like to to be able to put the right amount of habitat in so you can have higher densities of birds. Birds require five ingredients to be successful. So if you have that five ingredients on 100 acres, you're going to have a covey of birds in some situation. But what we found, if you put those five ingredients on 10 acres, you can actually have now 10 coveys. So you're managing the property to uh, to 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 hold the highest density in some cases. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the fence itself is cheaper than a high fence by far. So if you're putting in a high fence for deer, you can actually add this to that fence for minimum cost. We're just talking minimum, minimum mm -hmm. cost. Uh, you know, the prices have changed a lot these days. Then the cost of the birds are, are dependent on the quality that you purchase. Uh, we're working with a group now, um, in Kansas that actually has put in their own small bird facilities. So their cost of their bird that they're raising is, is, is probably less than $2 a bird, but they're raising the highest quality performance bird possible. In fact, he bought the genetics because the gentleman in Illinois retired and had his, his genetics. And so we bought those genetics. So we're raising those genetics. And, and so when you're looking at re releasing a few thousand birds, because you can release a bird in September and more than likely, at least 50% of those will be there in March. Um, and you've hunt and shot some and some of them will have lot left. And then you control the, the, the predation by the fence, the mammalian type predators. But uh, then through habitat management, you control the, the, the effectiveness of the avian predators on your birds. So to answer your question a little better, um, it depends on the setup. How, you know, if, if you've got fairly uh, rocky country, it's going to cost you a little more to put the fence in. If you've already got a fence up, then you're just putting wire over it. 
that's going to be reduced cost. Or if you uh, have a high fence, you can um, put this up for minimum cost because posts are already in. And then if you're buying your birds, depending on the genetics, you'll pay, you know, you release, you may have, oh gosh, Gable, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm hard pressed to say numbers these days because cost of everything has just gotten stupid. Right. But, uh, yeah, I um, know. I filled up the other day. It was $4 in, in Texas. We have so much oil in Texas. It blows my how mind. How do you do like, that in Texas? I don't understand. That's, that's it crazy. doesn't make any sense. Thanks, Joe. Um, <laughs> he'll blame it on Putin. I'm not, we're not that <laughs> stupid. We saw inflation before, before Russia <laughs> invaded the Ukraine. But uh, yeah, he'll tell us it's all Putin's fault. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, everything has gotten more expensive. There's no doubt about that. Well, let's knock out our last break here. When we come back, I really want to hammer on the predator issue and uh, you know, specifically which species have the most detrimental impact on quail populations. Uh, all of that and much more next. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and Big and J Whitetail Attractants. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking to remodel your home, add a deck or arbor to the back patio, redo your fence, or build your dream home from the ground up, look no further than ECR Construction Group. My longtime bow hunting buddy, Josh Brown, is someone you can trust to deliver honest work on time. ECR Construction Group also serves the North Texas area, specializing in roofing, barn dominium builds, painting, and carpentry. So for your next project, call the folks I trust. That's ECR Construction Group at 214-400-1444 or ecrcg.com in the market for a compact track loader then check out the bobcat advantage where bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges whether you're looking for performance advantages uptime protection or quality design bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry but don't take our word for it watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see bobcat machines in person at bobcat of north texas in Louisville, fort worth cedar hill longview mckinney paris and sherman Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. She wore them Navajo pearls and a turquoise ring. The head tied up high and holes in her jeans. And I said to myself, well, this is all I'll ever need. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by the fine folks over at Mossberg Firearms. Thanks so much for being here today as we are still talking bobwhite quail, specifically on properties where quail have long been gone. Uh, what can you do to have a, a season-long quail hunting experience that rivals the good old days? We'll continue that conversation with Greg Cook momentarily. This segment, though, is proudly brought to you by... NUMA gear for the outdoors. It's the apparel company that I have come to trust and love over the last year. We've um, got the great Kaza camo pattern, which I think you'll love as well. Um, all of their stuff, though, is warranted for life. Think about that. Hunting apparel that is warranted for as long as you have it, that doesn't make any sense because we put this gear through hell and back. They stand by the product, um, and I stand by it as well. It's great stuff. You can find their entire lineup of hunting apparel at numaoutdoors.com, and 
Save 20% with that promo code Lone Star 20 when you check out. All right. Uh, well, Greg, let's talk about, I mean, let's just take Texas, for example, uh, how it's changed over the years. You know, I said in the opening how I, I, I regret and I'm a little bit bitter about missing the heyday of, of Texas quail hunting and towns like uh, Coleman, for example, that on the weekends would be full of pickups with dog boxes on the back and the motels full, restaurants packed, uh, scenes that I don't think I'll experience in my lifetime. But it's something that, that leaves so many of us looking for the next best alternative. Years ago, when I first got in this business, um, Texas had, it was reported that Texas had 50,000 ranches that was making money off their quail hunting. Mm-hmm. 50,000 pieces of property that they actually made money from their, that quail hunting. Uh, now that that's been reduced down to a fraction and compared in, in to, to what it once was. And some of the hunting budgets for the clients that I worked with, I worked with Phillips Petroleum when it was here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Kermagee Oil Company, and their hunting budgets back then was $2 million. I know it's insane, it, it mm-hmm. sounds like, but hunting was, was how everybody wanted to conduct business. And then when the birds started to decline, that no longer was an option. So they ended up going to the resorts or they're going to golf. And now through the guys that I know, they're wanting to go back to hunting. So there are some properties that these guys can can generate a little money to pay for all their expenses, plus have some extra money if if they produce the, the, a quality uh, hunt for for individuals. So it's it's a kind of an interesting possibility i think i'd love to see uh properties that would would want to take this this knowledge and then see if we can't even better it over time to get the cost down and and to make it even more more uh successful so we get more people back out in the field more kids back out in the field more everybody back in the field get more dogs on the market things like that Mm because this sport is is declining rapidly and there's some of those great diehards but I think well, we it's all, an older demographic, I, Greg. That's the problem. So I'm 40 and like, I love quail hunting and I've been on, Oh, a handful of really great wild bird hunts. You know, I think I'm like at the tail end, like people that are in their thirties and twenties, by and large, most hunters, uh, may have never been on a wild bird hunt of any significance. Right. And that's a shame. And that, and like we talked about, that's because of declining quail populations um, it has gotten expensive because a good piece of property is now, I mean, you'll pay more than you will for a great deer lease for, if you have really good quail hunting, because it's supply and demand. Uh, hell, I just went out in February and looked at a 4,000 acre place that had amazing habitat. I mean, like I could not, we found one covey in two days. We had five, um, uh, uh, French Britneys from a kennel out of Fredericksburg, Texas, great dogs and bumped one covey on 4,000 acres with great habitat. Now, I think that uh, drought probably had a lot to do with that. And then I saw quite a few gray fox. Um, What would you say, and this is a two-part question, how effective is that predator fence? Describe it. And then which predators actually cause the biggest issue for quail? Well, 
the, the fence itself is, is only four feet high and it's got two inch squares so predators can't get through it. And then there's a ribbon um, down on the bottom that's not buried, but it is it is on the outside. So predators will actually trying to get in, can't dig underneath it. They'll go to the edge of the fence and then they'll dig and they'll they'll that fence is just laid down and they can't get through it. Uh, we do run a hot wire across the top or just a little bit cattywampus from the top. So predators can't go over the top. So it's it's extremely effective to controlling the mammalian type predators that, mm -hmm. that tend to prey on the, the eggs. Um, and as far as eggs and, and baby birds, in some cases, the adult predators. So you, you end up with, with two different type predators. You end up with nest predators, and then you end up with adult bird predators. And so this, this fence controls both the, the, the nest and uh, chick predators. And that's the raccoons, possums, skunks, armadillos, fox. Um, then when you get into the uh, adult bird predators, you've got bobcats, uh, mainly fox would be on that list, coyotes, very poor uh, uh, bird killers. Um, but in fact, coyote, we actually leave some coyote, a coyote in our, our managed areas because they control the rats and mice. Um, now, in my opinion, then you the nest predators um, also probably tend to be snakes, mm -hmm. but it uh, th that's up for discussion. So um, there was a study done in Oklahoma that on the pack saddle that uh, they they found that snakes were the number one predator. Now that's that's in some debate whether that's the case, but uh, snakes, raccoons, armadillos. And uh, so if your nest survival rate on a piece of property is, is, is 10%, you're not going to have birds. So um, we, we took a piece of property, uh, the one down in the Kaimichi Mountains. We tested our nest survival rate when we first started. It was zero. Hmm. Zero nest survival rate usually imitation nest survey. Then after we put the fence up, it went to 85% survivals. So if there had been any birds, that would have produced – we could have survived them fairly. They would have survived fairly well. But again, there was there was very little, almost no uh, nest survival rates of those birds. So, um, OK, so I, I would have to say the fence is very, very effective. And and uh, every property is different, Gable. Every property is yeah. different on what you're dealing with. Yeah. I, the only thing that seems like it's out of control, uh, out of. Well, that you really can't affect at all is the uh, the raptors and. Every quail hunter knows, golly, hawks are hell on, on quail. Um, Research shows they're about 33% of the death loss each year is due to avian predators. Um, we have looked at and researched methods for habitat management that reduces their effectiveness. So the only way you can deal with those, and, and it's fairly effective, is by managing your habitat in such a way you got density and height to cover and that will have an impact on their ability to be successful. Uh -huh. Okay. Now, does that reduce it down a lot? Uh, not a lot, but it, you might be able to drop it down to 20% effectiveness or, or maybe even as low as 15% as your habitat matures, but it, it, it does help. Um, as we're wrapping things up here, and this, I mean, this sounds like an opportunity for, and one that's not as expensive as I would have thought, especially if you already had an existing fence, um, which we know Texas has high fences everywhere. <laughs> For whether you love them or hate them, it's it's reality, and they're not coming down. So, um, and then because you know when you when we do these pin raised quail hunts, and I, I haven't done one in a couple of years, but I think the birds were like eight or nine dollars a piece. They're not they're not cheap by any stretch nope. of the imagination. So 
to fit, to find out if you know you want to put a couple thousand birds out you buy them in bulk you can get them for two or three dollars that's not as uh, as much as i was thinking um as far as and, and i know you don't deal with wild birds but isn't the only way to get a wild bird population started again is just you just have to relocate existing wild birds now that's that's another conversation i mean um so they've been doing uh, relocating translocating birds since like 1908 mm-hmm. so you look at the history of, of relocating birds translocating birds i mean you can look at this they, what they did in 1908 they did it again in 1928 they did it in 1950 <laughs> they did it in 1960 so there's a history of that translocation of birds and in every case it, they're having the exact same results they're having now but it has its limitations what it can do so it always comes down to if if you have the ability to to have wild birds on your property you probably do you can adjust the habitat to increase the density that's easy done so in other words if you're normally carrying capacity on a good year is six covey per acre with with great habitat management you might be on that year when the the numbers were good in your area that you might be able to now have 12 to 16 coveys if you manage the habitat so the translocation is is something that if your habitat, if you're not able to get birds, then you've got to look at the reasons why not. You got to look, is it because nest, my eggs aren't getting hatched? Is it because uh, they can't survive for three, the first three weeks because of predation? Um, is the, the, the bugging habitat poor? Probably not. Uh, more, than any, more likely, all my research has shown that, that we're not getting enough out of the egg and for whatever reason. And then they, the same predators that eat them in the egg will eat them for the first three weeks of life. So you have to alter that. And that's why we started the defense. We thought, okay, we cannot spend the money to, to control because you, you trap a predator, next day something else moves in. So you're having this constant battle. Um, the, uh, um, one of the projects in Florida, they had a nine for forever they had nine predator control agents that that's what they did year round and when they were print when they had that amount of predator control going on their quail numbers were phenomenal but then the budget got to the point that it was too expensive to have that many people on staff so they cut that back well they were going with a, i believe the number was like 68 percent nest survival rates when the predator control group was in place soon as they dropped those guys out cable it went down to about 14, 15% nest survival rates. Well, you know what happens. So we're in this, this, this place of, of, I think predators can be very, very impactful as far as the, the density on a person's property, but you, it's hard to control those because you got some, you know, that it's predators job is just to move in. And, and, you know, if you're building great habitat, it's great habitat for everything. So right. it, it's, I've taken property and I'll make this quick point. Um, I've taken property that that I watched them go in and um, develop perfect habitat, and their quail numbers actually went down huh. because it was so appealing to the predators that predators would move in in higher oh. numbers and what impact. What a slap in the face for all that hard absolutely. work! Absolutely. <laughs> so these guys got to if they're doing this management, they they have to think like, okay, am I actually creating a problem for me? That 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 is is making it worse and so in many cases that's actually a problem so this is it's a difficult problem you know texas is blessed with some really the great great biologists and and great projects but for wild birds but for the guys that no longer have huntable populations of quail 
then then we're looking for solutions mm-hmm. so that that they're they can enjoy their property in, in a way that they're they're excited to bring people out and then the people leave they go man that was a great time and it's not holding your nose just to shoot a few pin raised birds and get your dogs on a birds because i i I'm, i've been i've hated that since i got in the business and i'm thinking hell is, is that the best we can do we're like mm-hmm. the greatest nation in the world we can do so many amazing we we, we took sec we took what was the equivalent of a of a horse back five thousand years ago and through selective breeding bred a secretariat can we not do something special when it comes to this sport? And so I'm, I'm kind of motivated to step up to the plate, get guys around me that are interested in the same kind of results and say, hell, let's see if we can't do better than the crap, excuse me, the stuff that we've, we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So um, try to new, be new, being more innovative, more aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, have a bigger, better vision and not accepting the stuff that, that we've had to accept just because that's what we've always done. Let's change the rules and, and let's change all the rules to achieve this, this, this high level of quality. Okay. <laughs> well, fascinating stuff. Um, I, I have to come hunting on one of the, the places that uh, you, you've worked on and see it uh, firsthand. Um, and if you want to give your, your website, just so folks can check it out and see some of the, because the videos are impressive, you know, um, you've got, got a lot of great content on there. Um, where can where can folks find you it's greg k-o-c-h wildlife.com so it's greg cook but i spell cook k-o-c-h so greg cook wildlife.com and uh get on there and and if they'd like to call me you know all they got to do is ask questions and i'll do my best answer anything that they they need answered and i'll give them you know, the one thing I do is, is try to try to help people understand what their options are, because so many people have no clue what their options are um, mm-hmm. at, at, at another another perspective. But uh, I can usually save them a lot of heartache because I can say, ah, you know, did that before. And that one really didn't work so well. Yeah. You might not do that one. So that that's hopefully I can provide that kind of information. And they're they're just call me and uh, I'll be glad to. Um, Talk you know what? about whatever there's situation nothing, they have. There's nothing more ridiculous, Greg, than when you do one of those release bird hunts and you have to actually walk up and physically kick the bird, or maybe the dog brings back the bird that's never been shot. Yeah. Like, oh God, this sucks. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's embarrassing. And again, if the industry and I'm I'm I I've been trying to lecture with the industry people, uh, the last year. And, not, so. and I want to be clear. I'm not knocking that practice because sometimes it's, it's, it's all we've had. Like you said, it's oh, what was exactly right. The way that we've done it. It's all that we've had. If you have dogs, you don't have wild birds. What else are you going to do? So, it, you know, it's a means to an end, but God, it's so ridiculous when it's like, Oh, that bird's alive. The dog, the dog just caught it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm one that thinks there we've got to be able to do better. Mm-hmm. We're capable. It's just a matter of getting the right-minded people in the right place saying, okay, we're not going to accept that anymore. And then trying to convince the industry to rethink what they're doing has been a little bit of an interesting challenge because nobody likes to be told that, you know, you might be able to do better. Uh, I get that. But I think everyone has to understand that we can do better, that we've been doing Mm -hmm. the same thing for 90 years. And now it's time to use our technology, our information, knowledge, passion, to to solve this and provide a, a much 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 more enjoyable experience for for everyone 
And I think the youth is the key there. Like, absolutely. You're older than me. I'm not a young man anymore. Uh, but oh, I look yeah, at my, my <laughs> I don't feel young. But I look at my <laughs> nine year old son and I'm like, what's the future of this sport for him? Is is there one? You know, so um, I think this is uh, this is great stuff. And I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. I appreciate right. you. So there you have it. A, a kind of a different approach to what do we do about the future of quail hunting? Something that we certainly haven't discussed on the show before, but uh, a topic that I found very interesting. So certainly appreciate Greg jumping on the show. Uh, that segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you're looking for a way to introduce your son or daughter into deer hunting this fall, check out the big chingone. Even the little chingone. Uh, I've got three kids, so the big chingone works for my needs. But if you say you've just got, you know, you're trying to get your seven-year-old son uh, to start sitting with you in the deer blind, maybe he's already been shooting and it's time to uh, put him on a doe. Well, then it's time to get a chingone on your property. Uh, my kids love them, and that's how I got them hooked on deer and hog hunting with dad. Uh, they keep your kids quiet. I don't know if you've noticed, but most kids are about as quiet as a herd of elephants. And the Big Chingone has carpet. It's got cup holders for their Gatorades, shelves for their snacks, and um, windows for both rifle or archery hunting. Not that you're going to be archery hunting with uh, three kiddos. I'm not anyway, uh, but, but you get the point. Get a big chingone, get a little chingone, throw it up on your property, and take your kids hunting. You can find their entire lineup of blinds and feeders at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we got to go. Got to get out of here flat out of time. Uh, thanks to Greg Cook as well as Katie Newell, both of our guests today. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying you all have a great week in the outdoors. Yeah, she's got a new dress on